There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I am joined by Ed Wojcicki. Ed is going to share eight leadership lessons he has learned and his 42 years of management and leadership experience in journalism, higher education, and now as the executive director of the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police. These principles demonstrate that leadership is universal. No matter what your profession, leadership transcends across all organizations. I am so excited about this conversation because I've observed Ed's leadership firsthand when I served as vice president of the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police. Ed has been and continues to be a mentor and a coach to me, and his leadership has earned the highest levels of trust and respect of law enforcement leaders throughout Illinois and the entire region. Good morning, Ed. Thank you for joining us. Well, good morning. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you today, Danny. Ed, could we start by sharing a little more information about your background and, and your career? I'm really fascinated by the diverse experience, and it really drives home, you know, your leadership has been across many different professions, but I think with what you're going to share today, the, the foundation and the principles of that are, are very, very similar. Sure. I, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can about this. It's, uh, I really had three careers. Uh, the first one was in journalism, and I, I did that for more than 20 years, and I uh, became in, I got into management and leadership in journalism very early. Uh, I was an editor and a publisher. A lot of people don't know the difference between an editor and a publisher, but the editor is the one who runs the news content, and the publisher is responsible for the, the whole business side of the operation, in, adi- in addition to running every part of, of a publication. And uh, my second career, I, I uh, moved into higher education leadership. I worked in a, in a chancellor's office as chief of staff to two chancellors. Uh, and that allowed me uh, opportunities to oversee a whole lot of different things, everything from uh, student affairs to HR and sometimes athletics. Um, I got uh, called into the stickiest situations that a leader or manager can face. And, uh, and then I, I did that for about 12 years and and for the last five years, I've been leading the Chiefs of Police Association. You know, it's kind of interesting. My wife is the one who actually thought I might be interested in running the Chiefs Association. Uh, there are five generations of law enforcement in, in her family, from her great-grandfather down to the next generation, uh, all in the St. Louis metro area. So uh, we've been around law enforcement and police our entire lives. It's, it's my, my wife was very close to her grandfather who patrolled on horseback in St. Louis. And, uh, and then it's kind of interesting, but his great grandson, my nephew, shared the same badge number in the St. Louis Metro Police Department. So there's a, a closeness in, uh, and I feel close to the profession and, and I'm glad to have a chance to help. Well, you're doing incredible, incredible work with the Illinois Chiefs. 
the, the difference in this organization over the last five years has, has just been tremendous in your impact and your leadership. And it's one of the reasons that I wanted to, to pick your brain and talk to you about leadership. And I want to ask, what drew you to management and leadership? Very early in your career in journalism, you, know, you stepped in to, to this kind of a role. What drew you to that? What, what calls you to leadership? Boy, that's, that's a great question. I, I guess uh, I always felt this innate natural ability to lead well, from the time, all the time I was in school. I always just found myself sort of gravitating toward positions where I would be in leadership. And, uh, you know, I think when you're young, uh, part of it, has, it's, it's an ego thing where you think, well, I could do it better than that guy is. And so, you know, get, give me a shot at it. Let, let me try it. And uh, so it, it might have been some of that where I just felt like I had some ideas on how to make things better. And, and so I, I, uh, and then it was really the advice of some, so it was a guy who was in a, in, in a wheelchair. He was, he was badly injured in a uh, car accident. He was a quadriplegic. He was a great journalist, but he had to just, he was very limited as a result of that. And he said to me, he said, Ed, get into management, get into management. That's where, that's where the action is. That's where there's an opportunity to make a big difference. And so I did. And now it's 40 years later. Wow. Well, there, there is a lot of, of action in management and leadership, and you've been involved in, in a lot of action. One of the things that strikes me, Ed, and has always struck me uh, since I met you is you can just tell you're really driven by service and service to others. You're, you're so humble. You don't want to talk about yourself. I know I'm going to have to pull things out of you. And the only reason you're even doing this interview is because it helps others. And you just want to make a difference, and that's that's pretty awesome. Well, well, you know, it's it's true. Uh, people, for the most part, who are great leaders today are in it because they're of service to others. They realize once they get it that there's there's a, there's more headaches when you're in leadership than anyone realizes, and so you understand in order to advance an organization, you have to be of service to your staff, to yourself, and to, to the organization and to the customers that you have, whatever kind of customers those happen to be. And I actually, there's Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, is he has a, a, a statement there that I resonates so much with me. He says that a good leader has to have both the professional will and the personal humility to, to do something. And it takes humility because uh, you, you're going you're gonna to get beat up pretty bad whenever you're in a leadership position. And, and I pull no punches about that. People, people come after you, you know, kind of like I did when I was young. And I said, I can do it better than that guy. And uh, you always have people out there kind of throwing bombs at you, uh, criticizing you. It's, it's, uh, to be in leadership is to be misunderstood because nobody has the perspective of the whole organization like you do. Nobody's responsible for the whole organization like you are. And so uh, you better buckle up and just go with it. And, and if you don't have this servant attitude, uh, you're not going to be very successful. You know, Ed, and, and especially, I mean, all, all that is just so powerful. And, but especially today, 
you know, um, the, the leadership strategies required to lead Generation X, uh, the millennials, uh, Gen Z coming in now, it's a lot different than leading the boomers. And the boomers um, had just an innate respect for somebody's service, for somebody's time on. They were driven to be in a team. They had this great work ethic. And they were really taught, you know, you, you don't talk back, you respect authority. And so they would bite their tongue and bide their time until the, the, you know, and work their butts off and do incredible things until it was their time to lead where then they could fix those things. But the uh, Gen X to a certain degree, uh, depending on, on where they're at within that, and then the millennials especially, time on in that really doesn't mean a lot to them. And this whole idea of service and leading from the front. And I mean, there's just that that's a lot more depth than we'll go today in this conversation. But but there's a big difference in the way that's evolved. And I think the things you just described to lead in today's world, you've got to start with that mindset if you're going to be successful. You do. And, uh, but you know, I'm a boomer. And uh, so I'm right smack dab in the middle of the boomer generation. And, you know, I, I uh, one of the things that I like to say is, uh, you know, we've had our chance and we failed. So please, let's turn it over to the next generation and the next two generations and hope that they do better than we did. You know, I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but not entirely. You know, we, we did some things well, but we also so messed some things up. And uh, I think one of the big differences now is that uh, you're not going to find a whole lot of people who want to do something just because you say it's a good idea because you're speaking from a position of authority. They want some explanation as to why are we doing this? Well, you know, what's going to be the end result of this? And uh, I, I feel like we owe it to them to explain why we're doing it. You know, what, what harm does it do? Don't, tr don't keep secrets. Uh, explain why. And uh, sometimes they're not going to totally go along with you. They're not going to agree with you, but they feel better because you've explained that to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Such a, such a different uh, mindset. It, it challenges us to enhance and sharpen our leadership skills. And, and I would tell you every generation um, is going to do some great things, going to do some things they wish they'd done better. Um, things would be a lot easier moving forward if, if, uh, if, if the mindset were that and, and some of those work ethic things of the boomers. But I think that, you know, the millennials and Gen Z and Gen X have some incredible potential. And so as leaders, we've got to find ways to tap in and, and unleash that. You, you mentioned Jim Collins and I love Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great. And one of my favorite quotes, and when I do presentations and keynotes, I end with a lot of times is, you know, he talks about the enemy of, of great is good. Don't ever be willing to do a good job because if you're willing to do a good job, you'll never do a great job. And so always challenging people to do the very best that it is that they could do. And, you know, that it just always has resonated with me. So when you brought up his name, uh, that, that's the first thing that came to mind. Sure. Yeah. So, Ed, let, let's talk about the lessons that you've learned over your career uh, that, that have really helped shape your leadership. If you were talking to an up-and-coming leader, what advice would you have for him or her? Well, you know, that's a great question. What advice do I have? I, I wouldn't have any advice until I listened to him for a while because, you know, if, if you just start giving advice, 
uh, before people are willing to hear it. They're not going to pay any attention to you. So I, the first thing I do is build relationship. But then if someone would say to me, oh, you know, okay, what's your, you know, what's your philosophy of leadership? I would have to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these leadership guys who has like a seven point plan. I, I, I love to read those who do like Jim Collins and Danny Langlost and others because they do have a lot to offer. But one of the one of the things I would say right off the bat is you really have to learn to focus because you're going to have a lot of distractions. There are so many things that you just have to do because you have a job, you know, one of the things that I've always uh, hoped for is that somebody would pay me a lot of money just to sit around and think about things all day. But but nobody's going to pay you to sit around and think about things. There's a lot of things that you have to do. And so you have to focus. And you can't do too many things or else you're not going to do well at anything. When, you know, when I got this, when I was interviewing for this chief's job, I, they have a staff of, of three full-time people and two part-time people. And uh, I said to them, you list on your website that you do 23 things. I says, you can't do, you don't do 23 things. You can't do 23 <laughs> things. It's too many for a staff of three. So what do you really do that's important? What's most important? And so the first thing I would say is learn what, what are the most important things that you do, whether it's a goal, whether it's a, a, a task, whether it's one of the main functions of your organization, whether it's a product or a service, and do your best to focus on those things. And one of the reasons I say that is the time that you get to focus on those things might only be 20% of your time because you're spending the rest of the 80% of your time on all the other things that you're absolutely required to do. And as I said, nobody's going to pay you just to think, sit around and think about things. And so and you have to make the determination every day, every week, that this is what I'm focusing on. And you might get through a whole day and not spend any time on that. But, but you are reminding your staff, you're reminding your board, you're reminding your bosses, and you're reminding yourself this is the one thing. This is the, these, these are the two things. These are the three things that we're really about. Well, yeah, the, the focus. And, and one of the things I think that great leaders do well is they, they really have a laser focus. And they're dialed in on mission and purpose. And they know what the most critical um, difference-making actions are. And they make sure to schedule those things and they stay focused on those things and they keep coming back to them because you're right. There's so many distractions and in leadership, I know my day-to-day -day job, I might come in with four or five things that I really need to get done. But you know, the people that I serve, they, they need things as well. And at times it's one person in after another and you're helping through different people through different aspects of that. And so, so making sure you find a way to dial in and stay focused to get those things done is, is so important. And, you know, and with the Illinois Chiefs, really dialing in the focus uh, is important. And that's why we've seen, you know, so many accomplishments and we've really seen the brand of the Illinois Chiefs as, as a leader and especially in Springfield legislatively um, on a lot of different topics you know, emerged so strong. You really put together a great team there and really had a great focus. 
Well, thank you for mentioning that because, you know, you mentioned the legislative activity. You know, my office is just three blocks from the state capitol, and there's, I mean, there's a strategic reason for that. But that's one of the things I, I have seen in our membership surveys. They, they always say the legislative activity is one of the most important reasons that this association exists because we need help in, in the state capitol and in Washington, but especially in the state capitol. And so since I'm focused on that, I put more money into it. I put more resources into it. I put more resources into uh, lobbyists. I put when I when it when I was uh, able to hire a new person, you know, one of our three full time people. I hired somebody who had experience working in the state capitol because I knew that we needed all the help we could get in that area. And so that's what I mean by staying focused because the opportunity for me to hire somebody only comes once every two or three years. And so when I had that chance, I hired somebody who was working on the uh, state Senate staff, and now we're much better off in our legislative communications. Ed, you've got uh, an interesting philosophy and a great philosophy, I think, on buy-in. You want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, but when it comes to buy-in, how often uh, – are, are we in meetings and people say, well, we got to get everybody to buy in, you know, let's, we, we just need to get, you know, if everybody dot, doesn't buy in, we're going to, we're not going to do this right. I totally disagree with that. And here's why you're never going to get everybody to buy in it, as, as hard as you try. We all have to deal with multiple audiences and it's, it's our role to understand what the vision is. It's our role to understand what the mission is and what the goals are. And then we, we have to communicate all the time. You know what, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. And this is why we're doing it. And uh, you know what, it's just human nature. There's always somebody who's just uh, maybe a little bit on the other side of the sidewalk throwing rocks at you, or they're just down the office and they're saying, ah, that guy, blah, 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 blah. And you know exactly what they're saying. They're, it's, it's the role of staff to complain about the boss to a certain extent, you know, and, and I've been a boss for a long time and I just accept it. And, and I also have seen in not, not where I am now, but in any organization where, where there's more than a handful of people, there's, you pretty much always have somebody there that the rest of the people don't like. And, uh, but that person might still be doing a valuable function for the organization, and, and it's my job to remind people, hey, this person has a purpose here, and, and uh, you may not like them, but they're doing a good job at what they're doing. But as for, you know, ev everybody buying in, uh, I, I believe in incremental change, and, and with, with any initiative that you're going to have, especially when it's a change thing, you have to run with those who want to run with you at the beginning. And then when others begin to see success in that, then they'll come aboard and then more will come aboard. But they'll, and so you're going to, you're going to bring people along incrementally and some people you're never going to bring along. And uh, fortunately, many of them eventually leave the organization and that's a good thing. But, but, it, but those who don't, you know, you still have to work with them. So, you know, and I, it's uh, one of the things that, that I like to say is after, after the Rodney King incident and uh, 
in LA in the, in the early 90s, you know, that people were saying, can't we all just get along? And I happen to know the answer to that. No, we can't. You know, people, we're human beings and, and uh, we're, we're, conflict is a part of what we do. Not getting along is a part of, it's a part of our nature. We can strive to get along and we should, but it's never going to be, it's, it's never going to be that utopia. Well, you're, yeah, and you drive home so many great points there, and it's not, we're all so different. We all have just different experiences and different backgrounds and different upbringings, and there's just a lot of different cultures, and there's different ages and genders, and, you know, everybody has their, their different likes and dislikes, and so as a leader, you're never going to be 100%. Yes, and, and it's, uh, you also, it takes great patience. And, and I'm, 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 patience is one of my big strengths and it's also one of my big weaknesses because my, by being patient um, with people, I have seen that a lot of people do come along who maybe I never would have guessed that they did. Uh, patience is also a weakness of mine because I'll, I'll think, well, I, I'll wait and things will eventually fall in place and then sometimes they don't. I'll think, oops, I wish I would have take an action on that a little bit earlier. Um, but you can, the way you get buy-in is by, uh, first of all, focusing on those small number of things that you're going to do, and then constantly communicating that to the people who you're around, and then getting other people to communicate that. And uh, you get buy-in because they see that you're consistent, and they also see, well, there's some success there. Maybe he's right after all. And uh, so that, that's what, the way I like to approach it. That's awesome. One of the, change leadership is something that we're really intentional about. And as you, you know, in my prior career, lead police officers, change is a really, really difficult thing there. Um, we created this, this simple formula, and it's involvement equals investment equals commitment. You can't get people committed if they're not invested. You can't get them invested if they're not involved. And so we work this getting people involved early, even if it's through proactive communication, opening their mind to ideas and possibilities, like you said, incremental type change and concepts, tying into mission and purpose. How is this going to help them? They begin to become invested. You get them involved a little bit uh, more. They become committed and then very high levels of commitment transition to ownership. And that's what we really want, right, is we want people to own it as if it's their own. We don't want people to do things because it's important to us because that generally just happens when we're around watching or hovering over. We want them to do it because it's important to them. And then it becomes something that they do all of the time because it's important to them. So this whole uh, change leadership, change management is such a fascinating area, but it really has to do with connection you know, it really has to do with consistency. It has to do with showing some successes, showing what's in it for them. And I really love what you've talked about with this because we always, you know, looked at, okay, who are our champions? Who can we get to run with us? And then that starts to build the momentum as we move our change in the buy-in. So very great stuff. Very good Thanks. stuff. Ed. Sure. Let's talk about treating people equally. What are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm totally against it. It's uh, in fact, I tell people, I say, you know what, do not expect me 
to treat you equally. When every, every place I've been when I'm new and I have staff in with me, I said, I said, I will not treat you all equally. And, uh, you know, there's, but, but I will treat you fairly. I will treat everyone fairly. And I, why don't, why don't I want to treat people equally? Well, I believe that people have a life, you know, work is just work, but they have a life besides that. And that life should be very important to them, whatever their personal interests are, whatever their family is and so forth. You know, and, and in our culture, so much revolves around kids. And so um, when, when my son played tennis in high school, his tennis matches started at uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I just said, I'm going to those tennis matches. You know, and I left and I would go. And so, uh, you know, and, and so I want to I wanna be the kind of boss that I always wish I had. And so if, uh, if a staff person says to me, you know what? Uh, I, I need to leave early today because I babysit for my nephew. I say, perfect. You don't even have to ask. Just go and take care of it because I know these people are going to do their jobs. Somebody else might be taking care of an aging parent. And, and when you're taking care of an aging parent and you're in that sandwich generation, you have a lot of unexpected things come up. You know, things happen with them and you need to leave or you need to take off a half a day or a day to take care of something. And everyone who works for me knows that they can just do that stuff. And uh, you know, it's Chris, Chief Kristen Zeman in Aurora says, if you take care of your people, they'll take care of your business. And, and I've learned that that's true. And so uh, this is a roundabout way of answering your question, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some examples because I won't treat you equally because if, if it's not your daughter playing high school soccer and I let that person off to go watch a high school soccer game, uh, I'll, I'll say to you, well, you don't have the same need, but you have other personal needs and uh, you betcha I'll accommodate you because that's important to you. I don't, for the life of me, I don't know why in our culture everybody's job has to be nine to five. I, it, just, it just doesn't make sense to me because people have way too many other interests. I got to believe that this philosophy that you have, it has served you very well in your career. When you look at buy-in, when you look at loyalty, when you look at morale, when you look at employee engagement, and when you look at the success of the teams that you've led. Oh, it absolutely has, you know, and, uh, you know, and I think of another example. There's a, a lady who I worked with uh, about 40 years ago. We were both young journalists, and and she said to me, uh, "Hey, could I? I have an idea. I want to write a news. I want to start writing a column for our newspaper." And I said, "Oh, what's the column about?" And she explained it to me, and uh, I said, "Okay, go for it." And uh, she uh, she started doing it. She became an award-winning columnist, and then she got it. She got a, a job at a much bigger paper, where she has just had a fabulous career for the last 35 years. And she still signs her notes to me, indebtedly yours, you know. And and all I did was say, yeah, you have this idea. If somebody else suggested it, I might not go along with it, but this is your thing. I'll I'll let you try it and. What's the worst thing that could have happened is that she would have written lousy columns and stopped after a few weeks. 
but now it's decades later and she's still doing it. And uh, that, whenever I see that indebtedly yours, I think, ha, that's very cool. Well, that's true impact, right? That's leadership impact right there. That's yes, absolutely. That, that is incredible. That is incredible. And I think it's an important thing, especially for up and coming leaders, but I think it's a great reminder for CEOs and executives who might have um, are too far disconnected from those times where you were raising a young family or you had different things you had channels that you had to go through to get the important and necessary time off and to double check their organizations to say, you know, are we, are we treating people fairly in this regard? Are we taking care of our people? Are we fully embracing? If we got too caught up in the numbers, are we fully embracing that if we take care of our people, they will take care of the business. And so I think this is great from that new black and white leader that comes in and says, I got to treat everybody equal. No, that that's impossible, right? You treat people fairly. So Ed, does the leader have to have all the ideas themselves? Because I've worked for a lot of leaders that, you know, if it wasn't their idea, they weren't real interested in it. Or I've seen a lot of people as well that have thought to themselves and and maybe lack confidence as a leader because they didn't feel like they had enough ideas to contribute. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, I actually don't think a leader needs to have very many specific ideas and that I, I don't mean that entirely, but what, remember what I said before, a leader's role is to focus on those major things that you need to be doing. And then, and then the reason you hire talented people is to help, is to let them figure out how to get things done. You know, it's uh, pretty often uh, when I know Danny, you like to talk about, you know, bring me solutions, not problems. And uh, you know, when, when, but, but it's still, it, it's natural for somebody and you to who you work with to come up and say to you, Hey, I got this going on. What do you think? I'd say pretty close to a hundred percent of the time. I just turn that around. And if somebody, I say, well, what do you think we ought to do about this? And, you know, and, and how can I help get that done? And, and, uh, and almost all the time people will say to me, well, I think we might try this. And then I'll just say, okay, well then let's try that. And, and sometimes they'll say, well, Ed, this is what I think you need to do in this. And I say, okay, I'll do it. And, and that's how you become the servant because there is a role that you can play in support of people trying to accomplish what they need to do. You know, and, I, and I'll give you an example. I was at, at one place where uh, I was at a magazine and, and they needed to get new software. It's when uh, desktop publishing was coming in and, and I brought in Quark Express, which is, uh, you know, the premier desktop publishing software. Others will argue for InDesign, but that's another story. But uh, I brought in Quark Express because I knew how to use it. And then uh, people used to, they would come up to me and say, how do you do this? How do you do that? But then I hired somebody who knew a lot more about it than I did. And uh, over, over the course of time, she became the one. She was, she was our graphics editor. And she became the one who taught everybody. And I would say within a year, People weren't coming to me with questions about this at all. They would just go to her. And that's the way it should be. It was, and then it became, she took it on. It was her idea on how to implement it. And uh, she knew so much more about it. 
And, and, you know, and I, in the publishing world, I can think of a lot of things. And, and uh, you know, Photoshop, everybody has heard of Photoshop. A few people have used it. Very few people are experts at it. I'm sorry that I'm not an expert at it because I, I would like it. But I know plenty of people who are, and so I don't have to know how to do it. I just find somebody who does, and I say, this is what I need, and then they figure out how to do it. So it's up to the boss to express that need and then have people uh, use their strengths to uh, get it done. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, and as I listen to you talk about this, a leader's job is to develop others, right? It's to help people reach their full potential. It's to create an environment um, and a culture where they're able to do that and able to grow and hopefully grow beyond you as a leader. And if the leader is the one with all the ideas and is the one that has to do all of the important things, then how does your team ever grow? And by giving them the opportunity to, to be creative and progressive and innovative and, and to really spread their wings and expand, that's the job of a leader. It's, the, it's developing others. And, and your ideas and philosophy about that are just so, so powerful. And then the other thing you said that I think is so important and it builds off this idea, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, is that you got to surround yourself with talented people. You've got to, the leader's job, you know, as the leader, you're the coach, not the player. It's not your job to be out doing all these different things. Leadership is about, you know, getting these things done with and through your team and growing and developing your team. And when you surround yourself with these talented people, what you're able to accomplish as, as a leader and as an organization is, is multiplied uh, time and time again. If you surround yourself with 10 people like that, it's multiplied by 10 times. Ed, you talk about this family first mindset and mentality and the fact you really mean that. You want to dive into that? Sure. Uh, you know, so many people will say, well, family comes first. And Thankfully, I believe more and more people actually mean it. Well, I really mean it. You know, I got a call one day uh, when my son was 15 years old and got a call at work. And uh, the person on the other end said, uh, Mr. Wojcicki, this is uh, the fire department and we've got your son in an ambulance. What do you want us to do with them? And I said, well, well let's back up a little bit. And uh, it, it turned out that he had been riding his bike in Springfield. A dog ran, ran out in front of him. He hit the dog and flipped over the handlebars and, and, he, and he broke his arm. So it wasn't, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as it first sounded. And so I just, first thing I did was I, I called my wife because her office was actually closer to uh, the scene than I was. And, I, and so I knew she could get there first. But then I just said, you know, I'm leaving, you know, I'll, I'll see you later. Uh, my, my son's in an ambulance and, you know, and everybody gets that, but I, I come back to my other example where I say, I won't treat everybody equally. Everybody has stuff like this with their family, whether it's a child, whether it's a sibling, a spouse, an aging parent, or in the case of a, you know, of a single person, it might be the people that they live with or their close circle of friends, however people define family. And uh, 
people, you, you, you always say, well, don't bring it to work. You know, don't bring your problems to work. Sometimes you can't help it. People, people have something weighing on them that's so important. Well, a lot of times it is a health issue, but it might be something else. It might be, uh, you know, it might be time to, uh, the, the kid's ready to, you know, flunk out of school or, or the kid's trying to decide what to do next. Or, or I just think we, we need to be so respectful of, of those desires and needs that people have to take care of their families. And uh, what, what you'll discover is, is that when you create that atmosphere, some people will say, well, they'll take advantage of you, but they really don't. In fact, it's quite the opposite. People will come up to me and say, well, you know, my, my sister's got this going or my mom's got that going and I have to leave to take care of it. But here's the three things I'm going to do here at work to make sure that things are all lined up before I leave. Or I'll come in tonight or I'll come in early tomorrow and, and make sure that's taken care of. And then, and then I'll just say, well, is there anything else that somebody else on the staff can, can help you with so that you can go and take care of this? If you treat people like adults, they're going to act and respond like adults. And as I said before, they're going to take care of your business and they will be so grateful to you that uh, they have this freedom to, to do their family things. And that's, that really is. When you, if you say family first, you better mean it or it's going to have a negative impact on you. So powerful. Love, love your thoughts and, and ideas there. Ed, you talk about building an organization around people's strengths. Can you take a shot at that? What is, how do you do that? Well, everybody comes in with a certain skill set. And, and uh, it's kind of funny that whenever you hire somebody, uh, you, you write down something as if they, they, you know, they need to be everything, all things for all people. And then you, you start interviewing people and you discover nobody has all those skills. It, it just never happens. But, but you, you look at the most important ones and then you bring some, when you bring somebody in and you find out what they really like to do and what they're really good at, let's, let's work around that. Let's, let's use that to the advantage of the organization. You know, for example, uh, a person who I recently hired, one of the reasons I hired her is that she had a, uh, a bit of a background in video production at a TV station, and we needed to move into video. And, uh, you know, we're doing this thing by video and audio here, but, you know, video is no longer optional for most organizations. And so um, I, we, we bought this person the equipment that she needed to get the job done, and we let her run with it. And and now she's, produce, she's producing a video right now that I asked her to do. In fact, she's producing two, you know, and it's, uh, it's because she's good at it and, and she likes it and, and she knows what she's, she's doing. Now, do I know how to produce a video? Heck no. So I better bring in somebody who does. Now, does our organization have a lot of other needs? Of course we do. But you know what? This, this one's good at video, and so we're going to build on that strength and let her do it. Um, you know, we, it, and that's, you, you just look at anybody. You, you better ask them. You better learn uh, what they're really good at. You know, there's, there's this thing, well, we should improve on our weaknesses. 
I sense that that's going away a little bit more instead of, because, okay, I have to improve. I have to, yeah, we always have to improve, but to overcome a weakness, there's certain weaknesses that you might never overcome. Uh, you know, it's uh, there, there's a, there's a famous cartoon where somebody's given a test and he's, and he's got uh, an, an elephant and a fish and a monkey and a dog. Now think of this, an elephant, a fish, a monkey, and a dog. And he says, the test today is you got to climb that tree the fastest. The fastest one to climb the tree is, is the winner. Well, the elephant, the fish, and the dog are going to do very poorly on that test. And if you spend your whole career asking that elephant to climb a tree, you're going to think that elephant's a failure. Well, you're just not giving that, that elephant a chance to do what they're really good at. You know, that, that example is, is just an incredible example. And uh, fortunately, you know, this is being recorded for, for the launch of the podcast from the series. Um, so I'm going to go back and listen to that again, because that is so, so important. And I've battled that with leadership teams I've been on, where maybe you have a, a police officer who isn't the most aggressive and isn't wanting to stop all the cars and write all the tickets, but they're amazing at community policing or they're amazing um, at, at the school resource officer job, or they're a great investigator and they always dig and go the extra mile. And we've got to put people in positions to be successful. And, you know, I'm a big believer that you build on your strengths. And then kind of my philosophy is we try to mitigate the weaknesses. We don't really try to, if they can be improved, fine. But there's a lot of things, like you said, with the elephant climbing the tree. So you mitigate that. And the way you mitigate it is you don't ask the elephant to climb the tree. That's exactly right. Yep, that's exactly right. Wow. Or you, and you don't expect it. You don't expect it, you know. And, and sometimes managers make the big mistake of expecting things, people to do things that they're just not capable of doing. So you, you alluded to this earlier. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of the, the, the eight mindset or strategies that we're talking about today. It's that don't expect people to understand or appreciate you. Yeah, and, and, I, and I sigh when, when you say that because, uh, you know, the, the cliche is that it's lonely at the top. And, and it really is. Uh, when, when you're in leadership, when you're in, and I know the difference between management and leadership. Most of the time when you're in a leadership position, you're also in a management position. And uh, people who have never held a management job are incapable of understanding everything that you're thinking about. And that's why sometimes they're standing on, on the street throwing rocks at you because they just think you're the dumbest thing. But they may not know. They may not have all the information they, that you have. In fact, they usually don't. It's not their job to make sure the whole organization is successful. That is on, that is on you. And so people, and, and, and I said it earlier, you know, it, it's, it's one of the roles of staff is to criticize the boss. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's culturally part of what they do, even if it's a boss they like. Even if it's somebody they revere, sometimes they'll just be shaking their heads thinking, well, that, that's kind of crazy. One of my uh, most famous examples is uh, 
if, if you're ever here in Springfield, go to the Lincoln Museum and there's a room full of political cartoons, highly, highly critical of Lincoln. I mean, they wanted, uh, people wanted to have Lincoln lynched, literally. Uh, there were portrayals of, of Lincoln in cartoons as a monkey. And uh, he, the, the people were absolutely vicious when it came to their responses to Lincoln. And one of the reasons I like to read biographies and read history is that you, one of the reasons there's a biography about something, about somebody, is because they have endured great trials, great struggles. And uh, a lot of times these struggles and trials are caused by other people who uh, don't like them, don't accept them, you know. One of the things we talk about, don't expect people to understand or appreciate you, people can't have the experience until they have the experience. And, you know, it's funny until I actually, I thought I knew what, you know, my former chief and former chiefs had gone through. I, I thought I understood uh, the, the challenges they face and the tough decisions they faced, but you don't ever understand until you actually sit in the chair and until you're the one that has to make the decisions and until you're the one that people are taking shots at. And it's a tough thing. And, and a lot of people think um, that becoming the police chief or the CEO or the executive director is a destination. They, they've made it. And it's not really. It's just a new beginning. It's a new start to where you prove yourself day in and day out. And leadership, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Eric Thomas, he's got a quote that I love. He says, everybody wants to be a beast until it's time to do what real beasts do. And I believe, you know, everybody wants to be a leader until it's time to do what real leaders do. And it's not always popular. And people don't always have all the information or they don't always understand. And that's a tough thing. But we've always got to remember to swallow our pride, to set that aside, to set ego aside. And remember, our job is to serve and take care of others. And so we take those hits as leaders to make things better for them. We take those hits as leaders so they don't have to take the hits. And it's a hard thing, but we've got to be grounded and remind ourselves of that because becoming the leader, becoming the chief or the executive director or the CEO or the frontline supervisor, that's, that's not a status thing. That's a responsibility thing. And uh, the, 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 final, the final strategy, the, the final mindset uh, and we can add to it. We've had such a great conversation here, but is being willing to say, I don't know. Oh, saying, saying, I don't know is, is, uh, actually one of, one of the smartest things that, that you can ever do. And, uh, you know, when I read people who I consider to have wisdom, kind of the, the, the more experience they get, the more they're, they're able to just to say, I just don't know anything. Uh, and uh, the reason that that's important is I think that uh, I'll, I'll use another Brene Brown thing. She says that we have this fear of being irrelevant. And that's true. We do have a fear of being irrelevant. And so we think, well, we better come up with something. Or if we're sitting in a room of, of uh, people maybe who are all type A personalities, they, you might feel like, oh, I better have an idea here. I better have something to contribute. And uh, 
but there, there, Elie Wiesel in, in his book, uh, Night, he was the, the famous writer who was in a concentration camp. Uh, he, he went up to his master one time and he said, uh, why do I weep? Why do I pray? Why am I so depressed? And, and the master said, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And you're going to find out that the answer is, I don't know why I do this, but the answers are somewhere within myself. And I just, more and more and more, people will come up to me and ask me what's going to happen. And, and I, used to, I used to have kind of a half-baked idea, and I would present my half-baked idea. Or even worse, I would have an assumption that I knew what was going to happen. And so I would say, well, I think this is going to happen. But I've come to, to learn that I'm one of the worst predictors in the world. And, and so now I just sit back and watch. And if somebody uh, says, what do you think about this? Or what do you think is going to happen? Or, or how do we approach this? I'll say, well, I don't know, but let's work together to find out what the answer is. That's such a powerful thing. And I think being able to say, I don't know, and, and saying, let's work together is such a powerful trust builder, you know, because when you say, I don't know, and let's work together, you're telling the person you're talking to, I trust you. I respect you. I have value in your input and your opinion. And it allows for this dialogue and, and the enhancement of trust and, and respect and teamwork in all of these things. But I don't think there's like, there's probably many things more damaging to a leader, but it's very damaging for that leader who always has to know, no matter what, they always have to know, they always have to be right. And nobody is that. And I think what people want more and more today out of their leaders is that they just be human and they just be real. And thank you so much for taking this time and sharing your thoughts and ideas on leadership. You know, the initial concept really began with, you know, what would, what would you say to up and coming leaders um, about leadership, some things that would be helpful. And as we really, you know, worked on, you know, the, the concepts and, and the concepts you wanted to share for this podcast, and, we, and as we work through them, it's become so apparent to me that these are great things for new up and coming leaders. But, but these strategies, this mindset, these principles are just as important for Fortune 500 CEOs, for small business owners, for city managers, police chiefs. These concepts are universal. And there's just been so much value and, and so much information shared within this podcast. And I really, really appreciate you, know, you coming on and sharing that with us today. Well, it's, it's, uh, I, I appreciate that you would ask. And it's, it's, uh, these are all fun things for me to talk about. If you would like to get more insight into Ed's thoughts and leadership, check out his books, Crisis of Hope in the Modern World, and Nobody Calls Just to Say Hello. A direct link to these books can be found in the podcast description. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple. And also, please consider sharing the Leadership Excellence podcast with your network. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember, always be committed to excellence.